Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed. I'm your host, Marie Biancuto, and I am here today to talk about breastfeeding and beyond. And today I have a special treat for you because I'm going to be talking about the beyond part along with breastfeeding with my guest today, Professor Amy Brown. Dr. Brown, welcome to the show. Hi. Professor Amy Brown is based in the Department of Public Health the Policy and Social Sciences at Swansea University in the UK, where she leads the Master of Science program in child public health. Now, she's got a background in psychology, and she first became interested in the many barriers that women face when breastfeeding. Can you guess when? When she had her own baby. And now... Three babies and a PhD later, she has spent the last 12 years exploring the psychological, cultural, and societal barriers to breastfeeding, with an emphasis on how we can better support women to breastfeed. Dr. Brown has published over 60 papers exploring the barriers women face in feeding their baby throughout the first year. And in 2016, she published her first book, Breastfeeding Uncovered. Who Really Decides How We Feed Our Babies, followed by her second book, Why Starting Solids Matters, in 2017. Her third book, The Positive Breastfeeding Book, was born just last week. She is a regular blogger, and she aims to change the way that we think about breastfeeding, mothering, and caring for our babies. So again, one more time, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Well, I'm just delighted that you can be here because from everything that I have understood from your writings and your general philosophy, it just seems to me like you really want to help people, parents, society to normalize not only the breastfeeding piece, but the sleep piece as well. So... I want to start out then by talking about, especially in the early days, and then we can kind of move to when the baby is a little bit older, but talk to us a little bit about, is it normal for breastfed babies to feed frequently? Completely. And I I think this issue about how often babies feed is like really at the forefront of new parents' minds. It's one of the things they worry about and they talk about all the time. It's not helped by everyone around them questioning, (laughs) you know, how often did he feed? You sure he needs to be feeding again? They feed really, really, really frequently. But for some reason, we have this idea that they should feed in some kind of set schedule, sort of every three or four hours on the dot. Now, as adults, do we do that? Do you go four hours in between each drink and, you know, look at the clock and go, all right, it's 12 o'clock. I can have a cup of water now. You don't. It's it's, normal behavior for humans is to eat and drink throughout the day. And that's certainly the case, you know, really tiny babies who have really tiny tummies completely normal I mean the guidance says something like feeds every two to three hours but that's you know that's on the kind of long side really 
so many babies feed practically all the time on and off you know irregularly they'll have a snack here then they'll have a longer sleep and then they'll have another snack and then maybe a bit more and it's really really normal for them to be on and off all day I mean you should always kind of check that everything's going all right and they're gaining enough weight and they're hydrated and all of that but just because they're feeding frequently doesn't mean something's wrong it means they're just acting in a completely normal way yeah see I agree and uh, certainly during that newborn phase especially the whole idea is for the baby to get to breast frequently to stimulate the breast and the breast knows it has to make more milk and so forth and so on and honestly uh Mothers, I think, just need to understand that it's such a reciprocal process. Uh, Oh, completely. I mean, and we forget that the baby knows what they're doing. They're not helpless. They're biologically programmed to get fed. They are biologically kind of set up to want to feed lots (laughs) and to stay close. They know what they're doing. And there really is a certain amount of just, you know, trusting your body, trusting your baby and going with that. Yeah, you know, I I frequently will tell professionals, it it's really a matter of the human race is set up for survival. It is rigged. And these babies do know that they need to feed frequently, and so they ask to feed frequently, and of course the parent has to be able to, to read the cues. But talk to us, because there's been so much flap lately about babies waking up at night. Now, You and I are old enough to know that when, especially in that first month, maybe the first few months, we know that pretty much they're either eating or sleeping. Those are the two main activities. So talk to us about what's normal for waking up at night. I mean, I think we can't put a figure on it. We can't say this is a normal amount. And some babies, although they're really in the minorities, probably about 10% 10 maybe will sleep well. They'll sleep through the night. They'll sleep through the night through from quite an early age. But the vast majority of babies are going to wake up. And there are so many reasons for that. But the very first thing I always say to someone when they say, oh, should my baby be sleeping through the night? I say, well, do you sleep through the night? <laughs> do, you, do you go to bed, you know, and have eight hours solid sleep? I mean, some of us do. And then we're kind of amazed the next morning just that how wonderful we feel. But most people wake up. Now, because we're adults we can usually solve whatever problem it is. So if we're thirsty, we can get a drink. We can take ourselves off to do whatever we need to do. We can pull the covers back over ourselves. But tiny babies can't do that. They have tiny tummies, which means in the first few months, at least, they're going to need to feed at night because they need to keep having that milk. But also... They're not just waking up because they're hungry. They're waking up because they can't do those things that the us as adults can do. But the part related to that, the other thing I always say is, okay, so you wake up at night and you have a partner, you have a spouse, you have whoever you've just found in bed with you at night. If you were upset, if you needed something and you said to your partner, oh, I've had a really bad nightmare or um, for some reason I can't get out of bed and 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 find a drink and they ignored you and they told you that, you know, to ignore you should be sleeping through the night by now, then (laughs) we wouldn't think very much of them. But we expect our tiniest babies to do just that. 
I hadn't really thought of the fact that they can't pull the covers up more or throw the covers off if they're too hot or what. I mean, that's, I really never thought of it that way. I've always wondered, this is the same mother who has been getting up at night to empty her bladder for how long? Because, of course, the baby is sitting there in her body, smashing her bladder, you know, and she's the one asking, well, he's getting up all the time. Well, yeah, well, weren't you? (laughs) And, And so I think it's really good to put it in that context. And I, I think the other thing is that it's really, really easy to blame breastfeeding with all of this. And the oh, thing absolutely. If you stop breastfeeding, then your baby would suddenly sleep. No, they wouldn't. And you'd still have to get up at night, but actually it would take you longer because you'd have to get up at night and go and heat up that bottle and feed it to the baby and settle the baby back again. When if you're a breastfeeding mother, you can, you know, just roll over, find the baby, feed them, and they'll go straight back to sleep again in most cases. So it's thinking about the bigger picture. We It's normal for babies. It's not to do with feeding. It's not to do with other stuff. It's just normal for them to wake up, completely normal. They're tiny little things. They need us. They need our help. Uh, Dr. Brown, you raised a really good point because I think that parents sometimes think that it's breastfeeding And in fact, I would say that for almost all of the situations that I've bumped into in the last almost four decades, uh, the baby is still, whether it's sleeping or other issues, they are still going to have a need. You can give them formula, but they're still going to have a need. And uh, on the other side of the break, we're we're not quite there yet, but uh, on the other side of the break, I want to talk to you about this big flap that we had recently with putting food in the bottle to make the baby sleep longer and so forth. But uh, before we close out this segment, tell me this, uh, how you feed the baby, is that going to just miraculously change their behavior? And if not, why not? No, it's not. I think it's one of the biggest myths out there that formula will make your baby sleep. Now, the first question is, well, why? There's no reason why it would help your baby sleep more. Firstly, because formula and breast milk have pretty much equal calories and fat in it. So it's not like you're going to be giving them more. And secondly, they're probably waking up for, for normal other reasons. It's not to do with actually the food they're receiving, the milk they're receiving. They wake up for all sorts of things. So how is going? How is changing their milk going to affect that? Now, so many well, parents do that. Excuse me. We do know that babies who are formula fed, that formula is more difficult to digest. And so it's likely that they will be having a little bit longer of a, of a sleep time. But nonetheless, that is not going to get them by any means to, quote, sleep through the night or to sleep a long stretch. It's like this, this will buy you maybe a little bit, but not, not enough that is substantial. But anyway, I interrupted. Keep going. Um, well, just following up on your point there, I mean, it, formula is more difficult to digest, but that doesn't necessarily equate into sleep for every formula-fed baby. So for some, it might make them sleep, you know, an extra few minutes or so. For others, they may be finding that um, difficulty of digestion <laughs> more uncomfortable and be up because of that. But it, it's also, uh, there's research out there that shows that breastfeeding mums actually get more sleep Absolutely. even when their babies wake up more because it's easier and quicker 
to feed and settle a breastfed baby than it is a formula-fed baby. So it's kind of this illusion, really, that in some way that's going to equate to more. And there are studies out there that that say, oh, yes, formula-fed babies in the very early months sleep for longer. And then when you look at the actual times, it's a statistical difference, but it's not actually a real-life difference. As you say, they don't go from waking up four times a night to sleeping for 10 hours straight. So it's, 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 it's thinking about that. And we've done research showing that by the time babies get to six months, the type of milk you feed them does not matter. It does not affect whether they wake up or not. Breastfed and formula-fed babies wake up just equally with each other because they're waking up for other reasons. They can get their main calories in the day. So it's also the point of remembering that how you are at this moment in time, how your baby is acting at this moment, is not going to be that way forever. They are going to change and adapt. So even if formula got you an extra few minutes sleep a night, it's not always going to be that way. It would be a very short-term potential gain against a lot of loss that could impact going further down the line. I, I would agree, and I really like your idea that uh, just that the fact that it is more difficult to digest actually might cut in the other direction. That is, the baby may have discomfort. I really never looked at it that way. Very interesting. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I am here today with Dr. Amy Brown. When we come back, we're going to have some very interesting discussion. Don't miss it. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm your host, Marie Biancuto, and I'm here today with Dr. Amy Brown. I'd like to invite all of you, please, to visit my new website, not my old website. Okay, I know you've been going there, but I've got a new website, and it is MarieBiancuto.com. And I will repeat that. It's MarieBiancuto.com, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O. Dot com. I've got some very cool stuff for you there. I have some free handouts. I have my blog. I have a ton of stuff that you don't want to miss. As a matter of fact, you can find my previous podcast there as well. And we've done several shows on sleep. But of course, today we have with us Dr. Amy Brown, and she has her own take on these sleep issues. Dr. Brown, there was recently a study that came out of the UK, this was just a few weeks ago, about adding solids. I don't have the study in front of me, but I believe that it was adding solids at three months. I have two questions for you. First of all, what did you think of the design and credibility of the study? And secondly, what does that really mean for us? Okay, so I I know exactly which study you're talking about because it had a lot, a lot of publicity here, which I believe also traveled about the world quite a lot because we we had interest from uh, USA, from Australia, everywhere. Everyone was talking about this and the idea, this kind of miracle cure almost that if you gave your baby solids at three months suddenly they'd start sleeping through the night and you you can imagine the headlines can't you the tablets picked it up you know three months your baby will sleep all night and then you read the actual paper now there are a number of issues from the actual paper through to that translation that somehow solids will make your baby sleep if you actually look at the paper itself they found that at six months old, babies who were introduced to solids earlier slept longer than babies who had solids at six months. Now, of course, you can see how that can get interpreted, but the actual difference was seven minutes a night. Uh Seven minutes. It was also based on parents' self-reports of how much their baby slept. So you can start seeing now how this isn't, this is interesting, but it certainly doesn't translate through to saying giving your baby solids at three months will help them miraculously sleep all night long. The study was based on this um, randomized controlled trial that was actually about something else. It was about introducing solids earlier to try and see whether that affected allergy risk or not. So the study um, had two groups. One group was um, 
us to give their baby some solid foods, just in very small amounts from three months. The other were asked to wait until six months. Now, in reality, that three-month group was not having solids at three months. Some had very, very tiny tastes. Most didn't get into weaning until their baby was closer to five months old. So there wasn't really any, it wasn't really that kind of real three-month group. So the comparison is, is, not, is not quite there. But what it comes to me is that, okay, so let's say there really is a seven minutes difference and parents value that seven minutes sleep that, yeah. that much. <laughs> Why on earth would solid foods help your baby sleep through the night? Now think about what most solid foods are. They're things like pureed apple and a um, bit of baby rice. All of these foods are less calorie dense than milk, whether that's formula, whether that's breast milk. There is no healthy food you can feed a baby that has more calories and energy in it than just giving them more milk would. Now, when I say healthy food, I basically mean the only thing that you could feed your baby that would have more energy and calories is probably pure lard. And I don't recommend feeding babies blocks of lard for various reasons, but don't do that. So if you really thought that your baby was waking up at night because they were hungry, you could just give them more milk. The idea of giving them solid foods instead, it just doesn't make any sense. And of course, these are are slightly older babies. They're not newborns. They're not waking up because they're hungry. They're getting plenty of calories from from their milk. Giving them some purees is not going to make your baby sleep. Okay, so I can almost hear that there is some parent out there who is raising her hand and saying... Dr. Brown, as soon as I gave my kid solids, he slept better. I know he slept better. How would you respond to that? I'd say an anecdote and an individual story is very interesting, but it doesn't make data. You can't. We all have that story. And just because you gave solids and then your baby slept doesn't mean it was the solids. Right. It might be that you were suddenly more relaxed and that had an impact on your baby or it could have been a one-off or or anything else in the baby's development might have changed. And in any study like this, we have to ask, well, why? Just because a difference or a pattern occurs, that doesn't mean anything unless we understand why. And there is no reason I can think of why giving solids to a baby would help them sleep. In fact, it could be the exact opposite because when you first give a baby solids, what happens is they often then have this bulk of solid foods in their tummy and they then cut down on the amount of milk they have because obviously there's only so much space. So what it's actually doing to a baby is giving them slightly less calories overall. Weaning is about them learning to eat. It's not about giving them more energy. It's about moving them from milk to solids. It's not about more. So... You can actually make things worse in terms of sleep sometimes when you start introducing solids. Now, that leads me to the point that if they then started looking at sleep timings at six months and the six-month introduction group was sleeping seven minutes less at that point, it could just be a blip because that's when they're being introduced to solid foods. Do you see, you're not comparing like for like. There's another really interesting study out there that looked at how long it takes to move your baby um, from not having any solids 
to kind of eating quite a few solids. So eating a, you know, a sufficient amount each day. And they found that if you started doing it at, at three or four months, it took basically something, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was something like it took something like 12 weeks to get them to eat a decent amount of food. Now, if you waited until 26 weeks, it took about two weeks to do that. So because it's a far, far, far easier process to add in solids to a baby who is ready for them because if you're trying to give it to a three-month-old they're not ready they're going to spit it back out again and you see all those cute videos don't you on social media where parents have a baby kind of laid back in a, a baby chair and they're feeding them solids with the spoon and the baby's spitting it back out and everyone's going oh isn't it so funny it's so cute and I'm thinking no that's no it's not <laughs> protect itself they have a tongue reflex for a reason that pushes food back out of their mouth and that when they stick their tongue out and push it back out in those early weaning videos, that's their body saying they're not ready for it. Absolutely. That tongue reflex disappears somewhere between four to six months, different for every baby. But it's not until later that it disappears. So it just it's such a bad idea to give solid so early. Oh, I would totally agree. And I feel really compelled to say that the World Health Organization says to offer And the operative word there is to offer the baby solid foods around six months. They don't say put it on the spoon and wait until you can shove it in the baby's mouth and getting to accept it, okay? I have a really hard time explaining to parents, okay, you offered it. The baby wasn't interested. Well, maybe he didn't like the taste. Okay, well, you could try something else. But your job is to offer it, mm-hmm. not to insist. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you which one of my guests it was who was on this uh, show, where she said, when you put it on the spoon, you're kind of preloading the dose that the baby is expected to take. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just wait until he's ready, he will take in his hand what he wants. And absolutely. I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that, but I absolutely love this study. I'm not familiar with this study, by the way. The one about if you wait until 26 weeks, it only uh, it only takes a couple of weeks before he gets really on board with it. And yet that makes so much sense to me. I also can't... Uh, I can't give up this opportunity to say, I don't know how it is in the UK, but at least here in the US... People think that at six months, you're supposed to be offering them the food and then the mother's milk. But in fact, World Health Organization does not say that. They say that you want to offer the milk and, oh, by the way, then some of the food and the whole idea. And I think you just said this. uh, You didn't use the word explore. But I try to tell people it's really just about exploring the food. Would you agree? Oh, completely. I mean, the World Health Organization actually sets out guidelines for how many calories a baby should get from solid foods rather than milk. And I'm really surprised. I actually only discovered those statistics about five years ago. Uh I screened three babies. I had never found it. And it's somewhere around 180 to 200 calories a day from solid foods when a baby is six to eight months. That's a tiny amount. That's, you know, it's it's really small amounts. It should be about milk. And milk has all the nutrients, everything the baby really needs during the first year. And it's just adding in the, you've got to teach a baby to eat. 
But that doesn't mean that the milk has to go away. The milk is still the really nutritious bit of it all. It's about tastes, it's about textures, it's about letting them pick things up and smear it all over themselves and the cat and the table and everywhere. <laughs> it is learning experience. No matter how much you, you dislike the mess, it is about learning. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to advertise a free handout that we have. And it's, again, at mariebiancuso.com. And on there, I give a breakdown of about how much food that the baby has at different points after that six months. And I used the uh, information from the World Health Organization so that you have an idea of the fact that it's really a very small percentage and absolutely, food should not replace your milk. It should be just a complement, just an, an addition, an exploration, if you will. And I think that Dr. Brown is saying exactly the same thing. She's using slightly different words, but uh, both of us are trying to support what the World Health Organization guidelines say. Uh, and I'm totally intrigued by what you said about what, you know, caloric-wise, nutrient-wise, there isn't anything, any bigger, so to speak. We know there's nothing better. But calorie-wise, yeah, I'm thinking about the strained peaches or whatever. I'm thinking, oh, brother, where have I been? I never thought of it that way. Hey, everybody, do not go away. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Professor Amy Brown, and Dr. Brown is here talking with us about sleep and the relationship to food. And if you did not hear that last segment, you really need to because that was hugely interesting. So, Dr. Brown, what happens if you try to feed baby on a strict routine? Oh, a lot of bad things generally happen if you try and feed babies on a strict routine, I think we should say. This is one of my real pet issues. I, I ended up actually doing my PhD on this very thing about what happened if you try to feed a baby to a routine. And it, it just all goes wrong. I mean, if, if you're breastfeeding and you try and stretch out feeds, if you try and feed to the clock, what happens is you end up making less milk. Because you're not feeding so frequently. You're not feeding to your baby's cues. You're trying to tell the baby when they're hungry rather than listening to the baby. So we know that the less frequently you feed, the less milk you make. And that is just what happens with a routine. So I found that I had all these mums. I followed them through. I, I, I spoke to them in pregnancy and I followed them through till the baby was about six months old. And it was the saddest tale really because so many of them were like, oh, we really want to breastfeed. And then the baby came and they tried to put them on a routine and it just all went wrong because they started having all these complications. They were in pain. They were saying, oh, my baby's really unsettled. And of course your baby's unsettled because they're saying, I want to be fed. I want to, I want to be close to you. And they perceived that as something being wrong with their milk. Yes. And they thought that because the baby wanted to feed every two hours or so, they didn't have enough milk. So you see the same story kind of in slow motion over and over again, that the mother's saying, I don't have enough milk. He wants to feed so often. What I'll do is try and put him into a routine and stretch out the time between feeds. And that somehow might mean I make more milk. And no, it means you're going to make less milk and it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. We've carried on this. We've been looking at it all uh, just in study after study. If you try and breastfeed to a routine, you're going to end up, okay, so some women might, it might work for, but for the vast majority of women, you're going to end up with complications. More widely, we've kind of looked at these parenting books that, that kind of tell you to put your baby in a routine. Um, we found that that doesn't work. We found that it can damage breastfeeding, but there's also an increased risk then of postnatal depression as well, because it's unsurprising if, if you're um, really desperately trying to put your baby in a routine and it doesn't work and you end up not breastfeeding, then the impact of that on the mother can be huge. Totally agree. And yet, I, I wish I had a nickel for every mother who has told me she doesn't have enough milk. 
Mm. And almost always, not always, but very, very frequently, my, I, the first question out of my mouth is, how often are you feeding the baby? And as soon as I get the vibes like she's not feeding frequently enough or she's trying to feed on a schedule, which frequently those two things go together, well, hello, then you really don't have enough milk. And then there's the other part that I call the perception part. They actually do have enough milk, or at least they did have enough milk, and still until they started messing with, try to get this baby on a routine. And certainly we have folks out there saying how, oh, you can't spoil this baby. And I try to tell them, no, you're not spoiling the baby. A baby who is that little is not smart enough to be manipulative of parent behaviors. The baby just need, get, he needs to get his needs met. It's, it's really about as simple as that. So this goes along with why is it good for babies to stay close to their mothers at night? Well, it's, it's good for babies to be close to their mother at all times and certainly at night. I mean, if you see it from the perception of the baby. So if you kind of go back in time and you imagine you're this, this tiny little baby who has just been born, then you're utterly helpless. You can't even lift your own head up. Now, compare us to other mammals. So many of them. Think about a, a, a newborn baby giraffe, for example. Okay. A newborn baby giraffe is born. What can they do within a few hours? They can stand up. They can stand up. They can walk. They can walk around. They have that little bit more independence than us. Now, for humans, if you think about it, how long is it till your baby walks? It's, oh, it's, it's past, a, past, past a year, isn't it, easily? So we are really, really programmed to stay close. Um, psychologists kind of think that in terms of physiological development and in terms of brain development, we should actually be born at the stage of development when we're about 18 months old. Now, that isn't physically going to happen. We couldn't grow a toddler and give birth to a toddler. Right. So those, those, those first early months in particular and, and, and the first 18 months and longer is all about staying close. Now, babies are programmed. It's why we find them cute and adorable. It's why, you know, the, the smile, yes, okay, it's part of them enjoying themselves, but smiles are about programming us to stay close because we know we can be up all night with them. I'm thinking, you know, about throwing them out the window virtually because they've been, you know, crying so much and waking up so much. And then they smile when all is forgiven. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're thinking, ah, oh, there we go. It's evolution reprogramming to make us want to stay close to them. Now, in terms of feeding um, in the day, but especially at night, babies being close is so important. They're going to be more settled next to you. Research has shown that in hospital settings, when um, babies stay next to their mother, they're actually more peaceful and settled compared to when they go off and sleep in a nursery somewhere. Mothers also get the same amount of sleep. In fact, the mother with the baby next to her will usually sleep a little bit better. Better. Because from an evolutionary perspective, it, it is not, you know, your kind of evolutionary brain will be screaming at you. You've just given birth. Where's the baby? Where, where is it? Why, why is it not next to you? It's going to get eaten by a predator. Um, and, of course, we've, we've yes. moved on a lot, but our, our brains haven't in terms of that. So there's so many reasons. But, but babies, when they're kept next to you at night, um, you can hear them. You hear the early cues that they want to feed or that something is wrong and it's far easier to settle a baby at that stage than it is when they've really wound themselves up and are crying in another room 
Now, if you're that tiny, you're just not going to want to be on your, on your own. And come on, how many adults prefer sleeping with somebody? Somebody else, yeah. <laughs> we all get into bed with our partner or whoever, and we think that's completely normal. And then we think a tiny, tiny vulnerable baby should go and sleep elsewhere. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking when you mentioned this has got to be just a gigantic uh, myth that we seem to think that somehow because the mother is with the baby or because the mother is breastfeeding or some such thing, that that somehow she's going to get a total of less sleep versus if she were a formula-feeding mother. And that's just not true. Or if she had the baby elsewhere, and that also is just not true. Now, to my earliest recollection, and I don't know if this is the first study, but certainly the first study that I was aware of was Maureen Keefe's study, I believe in 1987 or 1988. And she showed that in fact, mothers do not get more rest when the baby is in the central nursery. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to debunk that myth. But I would also say, I have worked hundreds of night shifts. And I will tell you that I love it when the the research lines up with my clinical observations as well. And I think it's just because of that evolutionary stuff that you were just talking about, which is the mother, especially if she is in a light sleep stage, she's aware that the baby is there and she doesn't have those panicky feelings of where's my baby, where's my baby? Well, your baby is 40 feet down the hall. I'm sorry you can't see him. but And honestly, the truth of the matter is those kids will cuddle up to me if I'm their nurse, but frankly, I'm not what they want. <laughs> it's really, I don't look right, sound right, smell right. I am not the mother and they know that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really, really hard to convince parents that they're going to get more sleep if they're with their baby. But I believe that both the research and my clinical experience bears that out. So clearly you are on board with that. Um, I mean, we have to remember that, that human babies, we are primates. Human babies are tiny little primates and maybe less hairy, but they are still tiny primates. And what do primates do with their babies? They don't go and put them in a nursery. They, they, they cuddle all up night and day to them you know they you don't kind of go and separate a, a gorilla from her baby and say oh yeah we're just going to pop her in the nursery <laughs> <laughs> That's yes so dr brown what do you tell these parents who say well i've read so-and-so's book about how important it is to get the babies on a strict routine and all of that what do you do with that i just ask them what what the evidence is and i would say there is a direct association that the books that are based on telling you that you can put your baby in a routine and that it'll work and it's good for the baby ask where those people's qualifications are because usually they are not evidence-based there is no research underpinning them um a, a lot of the time they'll be written by maternity nurses with no experience of their own children. So mm-hmm. they're coming at it from one perspective without the other perspective of, you know, having having a baby. And the evidence is just not there. They kind of, I always see them as selling this golden ideal to sleep-deprived, exhausted parents. And when we did some research on it recently, actually looking at parents who read this type of book that said you can get your baby into a routine, 
And the vast majority, around 80%, said, we tried, it just didn't work. Because yeah, you yes, I would agree. Completely against the norm. I mean, you, it, babies are programmed to wake up. There's however many thousands of years of evolutionary programming behind that. Telling them, you know, we've read this book. Well, you know, the baby hasn't read it. So. Right. <laughs> I, I would agree. Uh, and I, everything you've said, I, I do think that some parents will read it, think that it's the truth. And then, as you mentioned, they discover that, in fact, it really doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I just can't help repeating that thing that you said in the first segment about the study having seven minutes worth of difference. And I'm just thinking that even when we do look at studies, even when we do have evidence, we need to really look at not just the newspaper headlines or, the, in, in this case, the web headlines, because so often what it really is and how it really shakes out are really two different things, very different things. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I am here with the very interesting Dr. Amy Brown. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed, where I have with me today Professor Amy Brown. Amy is here talking to us about sleep and its relationship to feeding. So I think it really comes down to this, Dr. Brown. Why are new parents so uncomfortable about the fact that babies do wake to feed? And that's fairly frequently. Uh, It's normal, but why do Why do parents get so hyped about this? I think it comes from two things. I think it's what society is telling them Mm. about normal baby behavior. So we've kind of reached a a strange point where so many of us now, we we go off and we grow up, we go to a, a job or we go to college or university and we go somewhere else compared to our family. So, so many new new parents are really really isolated and they haven't grown up in a situation where they've been around children i think it's a statistic in the uk that you know something like only 20 percent of teenagers have ever seen a baby breastfed or something like that because they're just not around babies we're having fewer and fewer babies so the vast majority of new mothers the very first newborn baby they will have and hold um, will be their own, their own. have experience. So their expectations of what a baby is normally like are completely skewed. They get it from the nappy adverts on TV. They get it from um, TV programs. And they get it from an industry that is out there trying to promote the idea to them that babies feed in routines, that um, books tell you that babies can sleep through the night. This is all exacerbated by everyone around them. It's exacerbated by um, grandparents and things like that who seem to have forgotten what babies are really like. seems to be a common one that um, grandmothers will say to their daughter, oh, you never woke up at night. And I think, oh, yeah, (laughs) really, really, really. And it's the kind of the questions that we ask new parents. It's like we're programmed to ask them. The, The big one is always, is he good? Have yeah. you got a good baby? Good and baby. I just think, you know, I tell parents, you know, tell them back, you know, like, oh, it's been a dreadful week. You know, you know, he was, I had to bail him out of prison earlier. You know, he's a really, really, really bad, bad baby. But it's like, is a good baby? To me, a good baby is one that signals when they need to be fed, that knows to keep close to its mother. That's a good baby to me. But it's not to society. A good baby to society is one that where you can have a brand new, whole brand new person that you chose to have, you've chosen to bring into your life, and yet act like 
just like it was before they even came. So a good baby is one that you don't need to see to, that you can stick in their own room at night, that doesn't feed very often, who's happy to be passed around, that doesn't need to be kind of held all the time. So it, it's that. It's the lack of experience and the expectations. And then it's this message from society. But then you have a third factor underneath that it's a lack of support, basically, oh, yeah. for parents. So I can sit here... You know, my, my, my children are older now. You know, they all sleep through the night perfectly. Um, you know, they're going into their teenage years and, you know, when they're getting up later than me. And it's all very well for me to stay, sit here and go, oh, yeah, what you need to do is feed your baby whenever they want to be fed. Um, keep them close to you at night. Don't leave them alone. That's really, really, really tough if you're doing it on your own. We weren't designed to do this on our own, though. We were designed to do it in communities. We're designed to do it in extended family. Going back in years, you wouldn't have been stuck in the house all day on your own with a baby, just kind of having to meet all their needs. People would have been around you. You'd have probably, going back even later, you know, you'd have passed the, the baby to your sister to, to give a feed to. It wouldn't have all been down to you. It wouldn't all be down to you holding that baby continually. And yet, this is what we're kind of now faced with. So many parents are going to change all this. How do we change it? I think we need to bring in a, a system where we actually value new parents. I think that's actually what it's about. You, you have, okay, you have education, you have promotion around normal baby behavior and, and sleep and promotion around breastfeeding and how to help breastfeeding. Great, that's all needed. But actually you need to come down, well, come up a level above that where, where governments, where societies actually invest in new parents. It's not just about the feeding, it's about valuing them. And if you look at models, and this is a big one for, for you in the United States, if you look at models such as Sweden, where I believe it's either Sweden or Denmark, where they have 15 months paid maternity leave at 90% pay. Now, look at their breastfeeding rates. They're really, really high. It's really no surprise, is it, that when kind of parents and parenthood and mothering is valued, that parents feel more confident, they feel more able. They also have this system where dads have a three-month paid at 90% paternity leave, and there is a pressure and expectation on them that they will take that. Rather than here in the UK, we have a system where dads get two weeks paid paternity leave. And a lot don't take it because the pressure is actually on them to be back in the office and earning the money and all of that. So it's about how families are valued. And it's about looking wiser than just breastfeeding or sleep. It's about oh, absolutely. caring yeah. for your parents and giving them the resources that they need. Because how many, how many women in the U.S. must go back to work so, so early? And then you're, you're telling them about, you know, oh, you should breastfeed. Oh, you shouldn't put your baby in a routine. They're having to go back to work when their baby's waking up several times a night. No wonder you can see why they want their baby to sleep so badly. I might also add that even when you are past the breastfeeding rate uh, uh, stage, certainly everybody who works in my office, their kids are, you know, school age by now. But I can tell you that we rotate schedules so that people can get their kid off the bus because I value that. And honestly... We make it work, but that's because I am committed to it as the business owner and because everybody else is is supportive of some other mother's child. And, and so I think it's really, as you say, a bigger problem. Uh, in the minute or so that we have left, oh, by the way, I also want to give a 
just a shout out here for what you just said about parents' expectations and understanding. This is one of the reasons why I am so committed to doing this podcast is I want parents to get the right information. If you are listening now, would you please take a moment to go to the iTunes and rate the podcast for us not necessarily this one but any one and the reason I say that is because that helps other people to find the show and we really want to get that information out to them so if you found it valuable uh, please help other people to find valuable information Dr. Brown before we go you have to tell us about your new book when is what's the title <laughs> is coming so it's called the positive breastfeeding book and it will be out on the 21st of September I believe that you can get it via Wordery or somewhere like that for free shipping outside of the UK. But it it looks at all this we've been talking about. It's um, helping parents have realistic expectations about breastfeeding and sleep and normal baby behavior. So it talks about um, how often babies really feed, how often babies really wake up and why. So saying what is normal and why it's normal. It talks about that fourth trimester, those three months, you know, after the baby is born and how normal it is for them really not wanting to be put down. But it's got it's got all sorts. It's got going back to work and breastfeeding, it's got breastfeeding in public, really strategies for helping new 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 parents get through breastfeeding and get it established and looking forward it goes into breastfeeding older children and eventually weaning weaning them off when they're older. Excellent, excellent. And uh, for those of you who are interested, and you all should be interested, I will be featuring that on my website as well. And so now would be a good time to say uh, that would be MarieBiancuso.com. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being with us today. It was truly a delight and hugely uh, enlightening for all of us, I'm sure. I'm sure I speak on behalf of all of the listeners and saying thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And for all of you, Just remember, I will be here next week. In the meanwhile, you can find me at MarieBiancuso.com. And you should always remember, this week and every week, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.